Today is Tuesday, April 16th, 2019, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. The Orioles play well up in Boston. The Ravens offseason workout programs get underway. The Caps win three, two games, and one fist fight. And the Terps are losing two starters, neither named Jalen. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. On excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. What's up, BSers? Going on, fellas. Fred, Brian, and special guest Ryan. Oh, that's going to be difficult. That's going to be difficult. <laughs> Brian and Ryan. Brian and Ryan. It's like, it's like I'm back at work again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my whole life. For you guys Aww. that are familiar with the show and tune in every week, Ryan, this is Ryan Shamel. He's a guy that's always active in all the chats always with us every week, giving us our insight to the Terps and more. Yeah, most likely just waiting for the Terps to talk. <laughs> oh, you'll be fine. He's you'll bored. Fine. With, he's bored with the rest of it. All he cares about is the turf side. Uh, Casual <laughs> fan for the rest of it, I guess. <laughs> uh, if you're my turtles, if you're not aware, Scott is, uh, like I said earlier, out enjoying the finer things in life, out at sea in Honduras somewhere right now on a cruise. Uh, he will be he will be back next week for next week's show. But Ryan's going to step in and fill in for this week. So appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> hey, man. It's all good, man. We got a lot of stuff to cover on the show, man. The Orioles playing pretty good baseball up in Boston. Uh, the Ravens, they're getting underway with their offseason workouts. Kind of cool to see, you know, a lot of the big names, a lot of the guys that, you know, don't necessarily have to be there because it's all voluntary workouts, getting in and getting their work in early. Yeah, you got your injured players showing up and getting yeah. back to work. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, some of the new guys, you know, trying to make – a name for themselves and trying to lead by example veteran leadership when obviously this team lost a lot of its veteran leadership we'll get into this in a little bit but uh glad to see that happening that the caps had gotten off to a hot start in the playoffs yeah. but uh took a punch in the mouth last night or somebody took a punch somebody somebody got knocked somebody the, got ow. their bell rung last yeah, they night got, they got three wins so far two of them games and one of them a fist fight <laughs> Um, Mike Tyson style, man. That was brutal. So we're going to talk some caps. And then obviously with Ryan being on the show, we're going to talk some heavy Terps today too. possibly losing two starters on the basketball team, neither of which are named Jalen. Yeah, you got two going to test the waters in the NBA. We'll probably lose at least two starters, but I don't know if they're the two going to the NBA. But before we get into too much, we want to remind you guys, if you're in the market to buy or sell a home, if you want someone that's going to go to bat for you, call our guy John Scheffenacher over at uh, Redfin now. I almost Redfin. said Cummings and Co. i got to update that. Over at Redfin now. John's been in the business for four years now and is dedicated to getting you the best deal possible. He's always available to take your call anytime, day or night. For you Oriole fans out there, you may know him as the guy with the orange button down, the black tie, the backwards hat, and the sunglasses sitting behind the dugout at Camden Yards. Give John a call today, 443-604-6298. 
This is typically where Scott would chime in with his normal John story. Yeah, I don't have a pie story I was yet, but say, I guess I could do my own version. <laughs> tell us a little bit about pie and whatnot. Yeah. Ryan, you've uh, actually had firsthand experience. You were actually one of the first referral customers that picked up John's name from our show. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your experience with John. So I received an email about pie from John this week. Nice. Uh, he uh, was just announcing to his um, his email list that he is switched to Redfin and yep. that he will continue his Thanksgiving pie delivery was part of this email. So awesome. apparently Scott's thing is in. Right. But um, I gave John a call. We were looking at a, a house up in Phoenix um, and he was very responsive, came out the next day. Um, and he actually came out for my little sister who just moved back from Texas, too, and has been working with him. It's been really nice. Um, and he uh, even he was on vacation for them, too, uh, one day and had somebody immediately cover for him and get them in a house. So that's awesome. I can be very similar to Scott's story. I guess <laughs> that's very similar, <laughs> very similar. So make sure if you if you are in the market to buy or sell a home, give John a call or you can email him at John Sheffa. That's J.O.N. S-C-H-E-F-F-A at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell them Birdland BS sent you. All right, Ryan. I know this is going to be your most exciting topic to talk about. We're going to talk about some bros, bows, and O's. Woo-hoo. <laughs> I know you are not the, the biggest of Oriole fans, really not the biggest of baseball fans, but it's been a while since this you know, you know, team has been being competitive on a regular basis so i'm gonna i'm an above average casual fan i was really into the team two years ago and even most of last year and even the losing with the bigger names is more okay with me because i'm the typical nba fan that likes lebron james and whatever team he's on i'm a name guy (laughs) it's very difficult to be that guy the name guy when we have a bunch of players on the o's right now that don't have names but the other thing is i can get into and i can learn new names I just can't get excited whenever an Oriole does well because I assume that they'll be traded for six other players whenever they do well. So how can I invest into the individuals? And since they're telling me that the wins don't matter, even though they're doing better than anyone thought, right? what does that matter? But that's the beauty part. So if you're if like Scott and I and, and Brian being diehard fans, you can see the value in in some of these prospects that we've gotten back already in some of the trades that we've made for yeah. Machado and Scope and Gosman. Uh, and, and that's kind of really, if you're looking at turning this thing around the right way, that's what you're looking for is you're looking for some of these names. Unfortunately, it may even be a name like Trey Mancini. Yep. That's what we discussed last yeah. week. I'm scared that even even Trey, with all the years of control we have left, how young he is, he's our biggest trading chip right, right. now. So why would he not disappear for five or six prospects? And I know for a lot of fans out there, that would be hard to swallow because Trey is the one guy you can kind of hang your hat on as like a fan favorite or even a guy that you might go out and buy a jersey for. Outside of that, who the hell are you buying a jersey for on this team? But the thing is, this team is is so far away yeah. from being where they need to be as an organization, not just as a 25-man roster, as an organization that you really got to capitalize on the players and the chips that you have when you can. And again, if this team was two or three pieces away, maybe you keep a Mancini because you're only those two or three pieces away. Yeah. You can get that through free agency. But this team is much farther away than that. I'm a fan of the plan. I just can't become a fan of the players because I understand the plan. 
I understand that these players. You can't will not get be that here. emotional attachment. I, you don't yeah, want to do not, that. I'll be like, "Oh, Villar's doing great." Well, well Villar's then how do you leave. do it? How do you do it as a college fan, right? Because you know those players are only going to be around some one, two, three, four years. Well, luckily I'm a Maryland fan, so we have a few less one and two year <laughs> players. Touche. We have three and four year Touché. players for the most part. That is absolutely <laughs> true. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, we're going to recap a little bit what's kind of happened so far this week. Um, obviously, the big news, we're going to get into that in a minute, is uh, Chris Davis getting off the snide. Uh, so they, they, they wrapped up their series in Oakland, which we had talked about prior to, the, uh, prior to getting off the air last week. The, the other Chris Davis, the one that spells his name with his K. The real Chris Davis. <laughs> he had a monster series against us. Back-to-back games with two home runs. You don't see that very often. You know, you'll, you'll see the you know two home run games occasionally, but to have back to back games with two home runs, that's pretty impressive. He is very impressive. Surprisingly, the Chris with the K has much less, many less K's on the year than the other Chris. Yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> true. <laughs> the one thing I saw in that series, and you know, we're you know, he's pitching tonight. Dylan Bundy continues to struggle and get beat by the long ball. This is a problem that we've seen really since he's come up. And it's progressively gotten worse as his velocity has dropped. He, you're really starting to see where players are not just making contact, but they're making solid contact and driving the ball over the fence. You can't have that out of supposedly one of your best starting pitchers. Yeah, I mean, uh, to see Jay Musante in here talking about wanting to see the kids play, um, and that's that's a really good point. And I do enjoy seeing our young talent. Yeah, we don't have any young talent with the pitchers. There's, right. It's it, there's no talent as far as I can tell on the pitching on the pitching staff. Well, on the current staff, on the current 25-man roster, there's really not too many guys that you can get too excited about. I mean, obviously, John Means has been kind of impressive so far, uh, a guy that I didn't really have many expectations for, and it's still early to pass judgment, but he's done okay so far. Um, You know, David Hess, he's kind of up and down. He'll have a really good start, and then he'll have a really bad start. So there are some pieces that could potentially be fourth and fifth kind of guys once you have a solid top of the rotation. But again, a lot of these pieces that are in the current rotation aren't going to be here for very long. We're hopeful that Alex Cobb and Andrew Kashner can pitch well in this first half, turn things around a little bit and become trade bait where they can get a piece or two, hopefully in the long run. Yeah. Well, you're going to need a lot of young pieces and only, only some of those are going to work out. So you need more and more every year. That's exactly right. So we'll talk a little bit about the Boston series, which was impressive to me. Orioles go into Boston and split the series two games to two. Um, to some, that might not be super impressive, but when you're talking about a team that was supposed to, and we're going to get into this in a minute, a team that was supposed to come in, hands down, if not win the division, be right there in the thick of things with the Yankees and the, and the Rays at the end of the year, possibly for a wild card. For a team like the Orioles, like you said, a bunch of no names kind of going into a series like this, they held their own. And that's what I've liked about this team so far is that they don't back down from anybody. They've, they've gone in New York and they've beat the Yankees. They've gone into Boston and they can, they can compete with the Red Sox. To me, that speaks volumes of this team and this team's character. So maybe it's all the fans' fault. Maybe we got no, we got no fan support no down faith. in Camden Yards, <laughs> and they can't play in front of us. When they go to real stadiums with packed out fans, they're playing really well. <laughs> <laughs> well, one guy that we uh, I talked about a minute ago that kind of got off the snide, Chris Davis, finally gets his first hit. 
in what was a huge game for him. So it wasn't just about the one hit. Obviously, the one hit was great. Finally yeah. kind of getting that <laughs> monkey off your monkey back. Off your back. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of cool and funny at the same time that he actually asked for the ball. Did you see that in the video? I did. And, and apparently he asked his manager before the game, which he must have known he was getting better in the batting cages. He asked him whether it was Bush League to ask for the ball. Hell no! And the manager said, no, I think it's kind of cool. And I do, they, too. They I do, too. Back. You know, that's going to be, I mean, that's part of your legacy, whether good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't matter. It's still part of your legacy. And hopefully, at the end of this thing, he comes out on the better side of things, and you can look bad and laugh at it and be yeah. like, God, look how bad I was at this point. And if that was career. his only hit that game and he went on another 30-game slide, then that would have been pretty embarrassing that <laughs> yeah. he had that ball. But he really, it seemed to be a turning point. I mean, he hit 600 that day. Exactly. Yes. He went three for five. <laughs> Two doubles, four RBIs. I mean, broke out in a really big way. He followed it up, not the next game, but the following game by hitting his first bomb of the season. Now, again, it was in a short porch in right field. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't a 450-foot well, shot. But I think it, they said it was 385, yeah. so it wasn't a bad shot. So it wasn't and a bad shot. And he showed power a couple different times because right before that home run, he walked the dugout and broke a bat over his left knee, which <laughs> is always impressive to me. They do it like it's a Hawk toothpick. <laughs> Right. I, like, I would literally break my leg if I try to do that. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, now, this I thought was kind of interesting. So he picked up two more RBIs on that home run. Credit to Ian Schultz of Charm City Birdwatch for this. Chris now has more RBIs on the season than Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant. Just saying. Just saying. Considering this guy didn't have a hit. Until the other day. So he has timely hits, is what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> productive hits. Productive hits. Very productive hits. So I like it. <laughs> hopefully, like you said, hopefully he can kind of string this together. I Like I said, I, I said last week, I genuinely feel bad for the guy. I mean, as much I'm as not, you can feel bad for somebody making more than you'll ever see. Oh, yeah, life. absolutely. Like, <laughs> there's two sides of it, right? The side of me that gets frustrated and angry is the side where I don't see the adjustments, which makes me think that he's not putting in the effort that he should or or pulling at any possibility of changing things by just making some sort of visual adjustment. There are minor things that apparently he's been working on behind the scenes that maybe to the, you know, to the average eye, you won't pick up on in the batter's box, mm -hmm. but I just haven't seen anything. So that's the frustrating side. The other side of it as a sympathetic guy and a guy that actually has a heart. You know, I, I feel bad for the guy. He doesn't want to go out there and, and, and not hit the ball. You know, this guy wants to do well. He wants a superlative like you created for him. Exactly. As I see, you're getting nice credit for in the comment <laughs> section. Hey, don't give me the credit. I found that online. Somebody, I, I wish, I didn't know where it originally came from, but uh, I thought it was cool. I had to use it. Uh, but no, I just, I like, genuinely feel bad for the guy. I'm happy that he's kind of like gotten the monkey off his back. Hopefully he can, you know, string this together and continue to move forward. We'll see. Yeah, I, t I tweeted out earlier this week. I think that really you have to take Chris and you have to have two different batting averages. The batting average you're going to see for the year and the batting average since this first hit. Right. I mean, they're two totally different numbers. I think he's batting like almost 090 on the year now. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, like 086 on the year, but it's actually God. like... 450 since his first uh, hit I, I personally at this point <laughs> if he can figure it out and end up finishing the year up at 200 that would be such a win in my books I mean you know we were talking about if he's not hitting 200 or above in the at the end of the first month of the year the Orioles just need to cut bait with them they didn't do that they didn't do that <laughs> it doesn't look like they're going zero to do was that not low enough for them no zero apparently <laughs> it's not low enough 
we'll see what happens with this team. Um, I really thought they would have that mentality of, hey, I'm the new GM. Hey, I'm the new manager. This kid isn't my problem. This is your fault for signing this guy. But who knows? I don't know if upper management's saying, hey, do everything that you can to try to get this guy figured out. We're not going to win anyway. We're not expected to compete. So what would it take? We're going to be pissing this money away, for lack of a better term. We need to try to do anything that yeah. we can to get this figured out. No matter what he does, you're going to eat all or most of this contract. But right. if he all of a sudden is showing up, he could still be a trade piece if you agree to pay the like a majority or all of the contract. Right. You could still get something for him. So maybe they're thinking that if he turns around, that's what they do. Because, again, who do you have as trade pieces outside Trey Mancini? Right. They thought that Givens might be a trade piece. They thought that Bundy might be a trade piece. And that's not showing this year. Right. So two guys, and you mentioned this earlier about young starting pitching or pitching in general, starting pitching on this team has been problematic already this year. Two guys that pitched pretty well in this series. I mentioned him earlier, John Means. Now, he didn't get the win. Neither did the team because the team just didn't hit this game. But Means went toe-to-toe with one of the best pitchers in the game in David Price and really held his own for five innings. He had four hits one earned, one walk, and three Ks, which brings his ERA on the year down to 1.98 so far on the year. Again, a guy that for me is kind of flying under the radar here, going up against one of the premier pitchers in the game, and David Price goes toe-to-toe. Now, they do, the Orioles do lose the game 4 to nothing because, again, the bats fell asleep, didn't do anything against David well, Price. Well, the bats were actually going against David Price. He just <laughs> kind of happened to be playing the same game as him. Right. <laughs> But when Means turned it over to the bullpen, it was only a one nothing game. So, yeah. you know, you're a big hit away from taking the lead. Yeah. So impressive in my book. And then the other guy, a guy that I just Scott was kind of harping on in his first couple of starts and really a guy that I, I had a lot of faith in, I thought was a smart value pickup late. Dan Straley um, got off to a horrible start in his first two outings. I think he kind of righted the ship yesterday a little bit. Yesterday, he picked up the win, went five innings, two hits, one earned, two walks, and two Ks. Mind you, he had a no-no going into the fifth inning in that game. So five innings, I would have liked to have seen him get through six, maybe even get into the seventh. So from an inning standpoint, eh, I'm not too happy with it. But look, again, he put up a really, really good start after having two really lackluster performances. Could be a really good pickup. Again, you know, they're – they're buying these contracts to give them to somebody else as long as they can show them off. We got all the time in the world to show off your your pieces. They're right. not they're not going for for W's. They just happen to happen. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now the the big story that's kind of been going around social media of all around the Orioles right now, manager Brandon Hyde gets ejected for the first time in his managerial career in this game. Now this was kind of a debatable topic and I'll kind of lay it out for you. And I was on one side before I read the rules and now I'm on the other side. So the point in which Brandon Hyde gets thrown out of this game, he's arguing a hard slide into second base by Raphael Devers on what could have been an inning ending double play. The argument that Brandon Hyde had was what's the point in the rule when somebody aggressively slides into a base with intent to try to hit the player and break up the double play, that they put a rule in place to prevent that. 
So, and when you watch the replay and when you actually watched it happen live, the, my first reaction was he's exactly right. What is the point in the rule if you're not going to imply it? But once you actually read through this rule and I, and I put, I pulled it out just so that way I could go through the, the verbiage, right? So I'm going to read the rule straight out of the rule book. If a runner does not engage in a bona fide slide and initiates or attempts to make contact with the fielder for the purpose of breaking up a double play, he should be called for interference under this rule. A bona fide slide for purposes of this rule occurs when the runner, one, begins his slide before reaching the base, which he did, True. is able and attempts to reach the base with his hand or foot, which he did, Yes. Is able and attempts to remain on the base except home plate after completion of the slide. And this was the one that kind of had people like, well, I don't know. Look, the way I take this rule and the way it was written up were for the guys. And I don't know if you remember or, or, you know, how short term some of our memories can be. Some of the way that guys were sliding into the base was completely obvious attempts to take a player's legs out. They were sliding so far away from the bag that I don't care if they reached out and tried to touch the bag in any kind of manner. They were they were nowhere near the bag. And they were tripping players up who were trying to touch the base and get out of the throwing and getting out of the, the base path. They were sliding to towards the center field, basically. Exactly. In this play, the second baseman stays on the bag and the runner slides through the bag. He stays on. His arms are still on the base. This was a play where the second baseman didn't jump high enough to get over the runner, didn't make an attempt to do that, and really give the runner full access to the base like he's supposed to. He's, you, can't, uh, you can't block a base in any kind of way. So once I actually read the rule and I read through that, I don't agree with the rule. Because I do think that the slide was aggressive, and I do think it had intent. He had intent to break up the double play. He wasn't going to slide out of the base path because the, the the player wasn't out of the base path. But I think the argument starts at number four that you haven't even gotten to. Okay. Slides within reach of the base without changing his pathway for the purpose of initiating contact with a fielder. He purposefully initiated contact with a fielder. But my, my point is, so he, he slides in feet first, right? Yes. 90% of the time when a player is sliding into to, to second base and a second baseman is standing on the base, if he's not catching the ball and crossing the base and getting out of the base path, he is jumping over the player that's coming into the base path. A foot, he made no attempt. A, he made no attempt. A foot-first slide is designed for your foot to stop on the bag, not your hand to stop on the bag. He did a foot-first slide towards the bag and then stopped on the other side of the bag with his right. hand barely touching the base. Which I and with that's the intent and that's, to hit the second base. And point. that's my point. I I do think that the intent was there, but re basically reading through the way that this rule is laid out, he followed the rules. I think the rule needs to be amended if they want to get rid of that altogether from the game, but I do think that the call on the field was made correctly, in my opinion. I would say that he was three out of four on the bona fide slide rules, which means it is not a bona fide 75 slide. 75%. I know Brian wants in on this because we was getting a little yeah. heated well, before the game. Or, my thing is, though, is 
I would like to hear from the umpire after the game. If you're going to have these instant reviews, I would like to hear an explanation from the umpire. That's all I want. I want transparency. I want to know how the umpire saw the call. Let him step up to the podium. Okay, this is how I saw the call. And then you can compare it to the to the way. This it's is why we didn't overrule it. Yes, yeah. I want to see an understanding. That way, maybe it'll change my mind somewhere down the line. I mean, right. I, I would like to see that from the NFL uh, referees as well. I want an explanation of why you made this judgment. That's all I want. Right. But I honestly, I have to, I have to agree with Ryan. There was intent there. No, kinda, I, and kinda, I'm not, I'm like not Manny disagreeing Machado, with that. Kind of like what Manny Machado I'm not, did. I mean, he, when he went after Dustin Pedroia with that slide. That was right. nearly the same that, slide. It was, it, you could have ah, no, because he was no, much. Pedroia had his legs further up. Yeah. I mean, he, he had every intent to knock out Pedroia. In a way, it was kind of similar, but not as much. But you could tell he was trying intentionally to break up the double play. But I but, think, I, I think smartly, if he knew the rule, if the guy, I don't know, in the heat of the moment, if this guy really knew the rule or not, he played it well because, again, the the player, I don't, I don't remember if it was Villar or if it was, it was I think Martin. it was Martin. Yeah, I okay. think it was Martin. Martin made no attempt to get off the bag. He didn't elevate himself. He didn't cross through the bag like most players do when they're turning a double play. He stayed on the bag, and the guy had nowhere else to go. The only way he and he avoids contact in that going in head first or feet first is if he hits the front side of the bag and stops, stops. on a dime. I, I it's the only way he doesn't make contact, which I, is what professional if, athletes do in baseball. Well, if I remember, but <laughs> if the rule is written the way it's written, then you can purposely not do that. You could purposely, purposely not do that. It's the problem. And the intent. And I don't disagree <laughs> with you guys at all on that. I don't disagree at all. But if he knew the rule going into, kudos to this guy because he was smarter than everybody else. If you're on the not field. cheating, you're not trying. So. <laughs> That's it's, right. It's baseball for you. One on one. That's right. That's why I try to steal signs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of my my take on it. Now, last week we had uh, we had kind of added a new segment with the Orioles. We talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly from this past week. We also had the Davis in there because it was so bad that it couldn't get any worse. I removed the Davis only because he had a good week, so I'm not going to have that this week. We're just going to talk the good, the bad, and the ugly. For me, the good, John Means. Like I said, I've been talking about him all night. The Orioles didn't win a start, but when you're talking about a starting rotation with some guys dealing with injuries and some guys really, really struggling, it was nice to see a not-so-big name step up with such a big game and go toe-to-toe with one of the best in the game. you got to have somebody show up, right? You can't have all terrible pitching. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you're not, you're not going to get a lot of starting pitching like Hess every time he plays against Toronto where, you know, he's getting a chance to get a no-hitter, and then, I mean, but, yeah, why well, right, Fred? It's nice to see that the Orioles' pitchers are attempting to step up to help exactly. alleviate the bullpen, which is totally getting exhausted at this point in time. I mean, that's that's great to see, and and I, I, I'm praying we see a little bit more of that down the line. Ryan, the bad, who did you got? The bad, they got Joey Rickard. If not for Chris Davis's horrible start and Ofer for the season, uh, we'll be paying more attention to Rickard's struggles at the plate. Two for his last 19 at the plate. Five strikeouts. Caught stealing a couple of times, not being smart on the bases. Yeah, I mean, that's... Not much to show. Essentially it. I mean, across the board, other than really making a a nice play on opening day, he had a nice diving catch, Joey Rickard has been struggling. And it's frustrating because I feel like there are some guys down in the minor leagues that Scott and I talked about prior to the season, whether that's Austin Hayes, whether that's DJ Stewart, you know, some other guys, I mean, I, I, the whole, um, oh, Christ, what's the kid's name that we got for um, 
Yuznial Diaz. Besides him, you don't want to bring him up too early because you don't want to lose the eligibility. You've already done that with Austin Hayes. You've already done that with DJ Stewart. Why not have these guys up here? Because Rickard, I mean, like I said, if Davis isn't on this team, we are hounding Rickard and really Mullins. Mullins has been super struggling at the plate. But Joey Rickard, he just looks lost out there. He looks lost on the base paths, doesn't look like he knows what he's doing out there sometimes, and it's frustrating. I can't tell why Rickard would be here because you, I, no one could see Rickard's history and think he was ever going to be a trade piece. Right. So what is what is his role? Yeah. It's kind of similar to, well, I mean, Adam Jones would have been a better trade piece, but it's like, yes, Adam Jones is a better player than we have, but why have him blocking a spot? Why is Rickard blocking this spot? Right. Uh, I agree. And the ugly for me has to be the supposed big dogs of the AL East. The Yankees are now not are now six and nine and the Red Sox just split a home series to the birds and are now six and 11 on the season. The Tampa Bay Rays, who we just started a series with tonight, sit alone in first place at 12 and four on the year. Just to put this in perspective, the Red Sox have the highest payroll in baseball at $222 million a season. The Yankees aren't far behind in third at $208 million. The first place raise, yeah, last in the bigs with $60 million in payroll. The Orioles, third from last. Was 74. Now I know it's early, and at the end of the year, the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to find a way to get there. I get it, but they are both off to horrible starts, That's and true. I know their fan bases have got to be hitting the panic button. And if you can exclude Davis's contract, the Dairy Queen down the street has a higher payroll. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get on Dairy Queen's payroll then. Apparently, I'll be putting in an app after the show. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so you you had kind of hinted on this prior to the show. Uh, we had talked about it. You know, for a fan like yourself who who may not be a diehard baseball fan, might not be a diehard Oriole, if you were, like, deciding whether you were going to go to a game or not go to the game, what would be a draw for you to go to this game? As an average fan, what would pull you into the game? Is it the, the the young players? Is it something about the environment of the stadium? Is it just the beauty of the stadium? Like, what about it would bring you out to the ballpark? Yeah, I go to the ballpark for great weather and great atmosphere <laughs> and because we have Camden Yards. But, yeah, I mean, maybe the end of this year, maybe middle of next year when I have the younger kids up that I think we're going to keep. Because if, if we start bringing up these recruits now, these – minor league players there's the turpin you recruit recruit exactly <laughs> we start bringing up the minor league players uh, from the farm system at this point in my head it means they're giving up on the people they thought were trade pieces and now our minor league players are the trade pieces because we're too early in the rebuild right you have to like you have to get into this before i can become emotionally invested in individuals again i still fully support the orioles i'm not flipping to any other team i will go to a few games i went to opening day my first opening day ever is during this right. disastrous season uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot more fun before first pitch <laughs> than than during the game. Was this when you had beer all over the front of you <laughs> was, and you were randomly doing push-ups in the middle of thousands of people? Pickles. You got to stay swole. You do what you got to do. <laughs> got to get them in when you can. Work them in when you get it. Uh, it's hilarious. Well, for me, it's got to be some of the youngsters out there, the, the young guys getting their shots and that kind of thing. Yes, there's some young guys still down in the minors that I'd like to see. What I want to start doing, 
is I want to start getting out to more minor league games. You know, we're we're really a hop, skip, and a jump from Iron uh, from the Ironbirds up in Aberdeen. Scott and I went to a couple games last year, had a lot of fun doing that. But a team now it's a little bit more of a drive, obviously. A team that's doing really, really well for the birds right now. If you're a diehard, get out and watch the Delmarva Shoreboard Shorebirds. Apparently, the team is off to an eight and one start on the year. They've got one of the Orioles' top prospects down there in Grayson Rodriguez. They were he was the number one pick, I think, eleventh overall in the 2018 draft last year. He was just named the South Atlantic League Player of the Week for the Shorebirds. The uh, 19-year-old who was drafted out of high school in Texas won two scoreless starts on April 5th and 12th, combining to give up just three hits in both games, all singles, and five walks while striking out 20 over 11 innings. That's my old stomping grounds. I uh, met my wife in Salisbury, lived there for eight years. It's a pretty cool stadium, not anywhere near the... Ironbirds quality. Typic, yeah, typical minor um, league. But uh, they have uh, $2 hot dog Tuesdays and $5.32 ounce beers on Thursdays. So I spent some nice. Thursdays there. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> well, through 11 league dates, Rodriguez is one of just five starters with a perfect 0.00 ERA, ranked second in the league in strikeouts with 20, a batting average against at 0.086. Sound familiar? No. Sounds like Chris Davis's average. <laughs> as well as eighth in whip at 0.73. I also saw this. I don't know if you got a chance to see that, Brian. uh, Brian, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter the other day, but one of the trade pieces that we got back in the Kevin Gosman deal, JC Encarnacion, and I love when when, uh, Gary Thorne talks. (laughs) Encarnacion. Encarnacion. It's like he's going French. It's hilarious. (laughs) He had a walk-off grand slam. The other night to win a game it's cool always you know anytime you see a walk-off hit or a walk-off home run it's cool but this dude hit a walk-off grand slam and i mean he just slow walked it out of the batter's box right next to that left foul pole yes. about eight it, feet from the it, parking it, lot it kind of had like that uh that old uh boston antage where you're just yep. like kind of trying to wish it inside of the uh the foul pole there yep. to win the game exactly man it was it was awesome. I'm surprised awesome he didn't do the Joe Carter thing. Holy crap! Holy crap! <laughs> I won the World Series. We were there. Wait a I missed the first base. They had a um, local coin dealer that had a sponsorship out there, uh-huh. and if they hit the sign, it was it was like straightaway center field, like four fifty. It was a small sign, and you won a ten thousand dollar gold coin. Somebody in attendance, and me and my wife were both there. Where for was it. this? At Salisbury, at the Shorebirds really? game. Wow. Um, and it, it, it hit off the scoreboard, and everybody's like, holy crap, do I have 10 grand now? <laughs> like, we didn't win, obviously. Uh, a much better story if we did, but it was pretty cool. And, and of course, that sign disappeared, never came back, because I guess that team never thought it was going to, or that business never thought it was going to get hit. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was the last day of that sign. But <laughs> minor, minor league baseball in general is, is a really fun product. If you haven't been out there, Get your kids out there. It's it's much more of a family environment. They do a lot of things to involve the kids. Uh, players are more interactive with the kids. 
chances of getting foul balls. And they let souvenirs. you throw stuff on the field. My, right. My favorite part was they sold tennis balls for $5 a bag. To throw in hula and hoops? throw them at the hula hoops. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That is I the best it. thing. Right. Some days I would be on there on the 32-ounce beer night, and I'd spend $30 or $40 on tennis balls. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Who gets to throw stuff onto a field? Yeah, right. <laughs> and a lot of times they will. They'll bring the kids out for, like, relay races. They do all kinds of stuff. So if you've got kids and you haven't gone to a minor league game, and you just can't get behind the Orioles, or maybe you don't want to go downtown for all the reasons that a lot of people are avoiding going downtown, get out to your local minor league stadium and watch some of these young guys. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yep, we got to check out a Bowie game sometime. For sure. All right, man. It is time for our brew of the week. This week... It's the Diamondback Brewing Companies, which we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, but this is their DQ'd Double Vanilla. Another vanilla supposed to be like a, a milkshake. IPA is kind of how they... I don't really taste I'm the vanilla out. that much. It's a very good IPA. 7.7 India Pale Ale. It's an American IPA brewed with loads of oats and wheat, heavily hopped, they aged this batch on an even larger edition of vanilla beans and carefully added lactose sugar in order to refine the body. Vanilla makes a change from their typical fruit additions, but lends a sweet, creamy profile that allows the best qualities of an IPA to shine through. It is a good beer. It's a very smooth beer. Brian, you, you were a big fan of it. You I'm, like it? I like this a lot. I mean, it's nice. It goes down smooth. It's it's. What 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 does Scott say about one boy? It's it's sweet and creamy. That's right. What, what, was that it's what he got was an saying? Awfully fine body was what. <laughs> oh, what Fred baby, just said. yes, it does. It does no? It, <sighs> <it's good. laughs> See, Scott, you're not even here, and we're already picking on you. We don't miss you at all. But no, this is a very good beer, and I think when if I ever see it out in the wild at, at one of my local uh, brews, I'm definitely going to pick it up. Especially if it's, if I'm down at the the liquor stop, I'll definitely pick up a, a four pack of this. But yeah, this is a very very fine beer. Yeah, make sure you get out to the liquor stop on Conowingo Road up in Hartford County. Tell them Birdland BS sent you. Get your 10% off. All right, Brian. Do it's I, time for a social media shout-out. I don't think I want to, man. Brian, your wife is talking about The Bachelorette in the live chat, man. You know, I can, saw that. Can, it's can wow. It's not, it's What's not going wife. on in the chat room? My wife is being a poser. I'm going to call her out right here. <laughs> this thing's so getting out of control. My wife did agree that this was a little bit too much uh, sports talk. She can't hang. Um, <laughs> so but she, if she's pretending to know anything about The Bachelorette, She's a liar because we have two two-year-old twins at home, and I can't get her to watch the TV I like, much less Bachelorette. She was so it's not that's all what she says about that. If it's happening, is not true. That's hilarious. I mean, I mean, between her and Nikki, it's just like what is going on? They, they took over the light right? It was like a like a Bachelorette takeover, and all all hey, I said you know was, they count as viewers. It doesn't matter. Oh, Talk whatever Jesus. you want. Nikki said, says Scott's missing the men. Talk about floral vanilla beer. <laughs> I did like that. Uh, I did like your wife said we should do an Iron Birds. Birdland BS that, Day. I'm sure we can easily good. put that together. We should do that. And and something else that Nikki uh, Nikki Reedy said too, which which made me almost spit my damn beer out, which was funny. She's like, the real award of the week should go to, or hang on, I said this wrong. The award of the week should go to the real slugger Ovi. Oh yeah, there we'll, you go. I we're, mean, we're, we're, we'll get to that. Touche, Nikki. We're that, we're gonna bring that up here in our uh, cap segment. But yeah, uh, that that, that definitely could have gone to Ovi there for the uh, the old <laughs> knockout win. Yep, I've seen and, uh, uh, seen my cousin Bryce out here. Uh, yeah. Corey Floor yeah, is a, St Stephen a graduate of mine and Scott's. Um, nice. 
Paul Jay. Jackson, the close family friend. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Kamal, Kamal Porter's hanging out there. Speaking of Kamal, he was talking about how the Cavs got their ass kicked. <laughs> Samuel L. Yeah. Jackson said he followed yeah. me on Twitter. Nice. Hey, yeah, I'm going go. from eight followers as Salisbury Rockstar <laughs> to 16 followers as That's Berlin the expert. I'm double it doubling up. this. Double it up. 32 by fall. Hopefully Let's do it. By the end of the show, Let's we'll be over 20 for you. Oh, my. Now we're <laughs> That's talking our big numbers. If you're not following him, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Terps underscore BSpert. I actually had a tweet featured by Terrapin Times today, which right. I thought was pretty hilarious. A guy with 15 I, followers. I had 15 followers, and I was featured by a newspaper. I haven't even told my wife this yet because she was at school. <laughs> she, um, I made she's a, going prime time, man. Yeah, I made a comment about you know all these guys blowing up about Anthony Cowan going to NBA, or NBA draft, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but I just told people that you need to stop being so aggressive because they can come back until May 29th. You should be treating them like recruits. It's like, well, your mama said... If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I even put that if you're a bad person, just do it because they can come back. Like, be selfish. Right. Treat them nice until the 29th. Then act like a bum if you want to act like a bum. But, <laughs> but do not cost your team and any other recruits that are seeing how the uh, fans are acting. Like, please think before you get on social media. If you're overreacting to Terps news like this, number one, you need to get your stuff together. Because yeah. I'm a really big Terps fan. And I'm not going to freak really out about Terps that. big Terps fan? You're but, like one of the ultimate Terps fans. Let's not lie I don't here, know, man. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into that in a little bit more here in a minute. Before we get into the Terps, let's talk a little bit about the Ravens. We mentioned it earlier. The Ravens kind of started their voluntary off-season workout program yesterday. And like I said, I, I think it's cool that we get to see some of the big names. Really, pretty much everybody was there. You know, mm-hmm. obviously QB one, Lamar Jackson, he was there. A lot of the, uh, the 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 rookies from last year, Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews, he was there. But some of the new guys that are trying to make a name for themselves in the locker room and get to know guys, Earl Thomas, Mark Ingram the big signings in the offseason, they were there. And I think that speaks volumes to who they are and what they're going to mean for this locker room moving forward. Something funny I saw was that QB2, Robert Griffin III, came in twice because he forgot something in the car. <laughs> I did see Jesus. that. And if you took a look at it, it sure looked like the playbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that parking lot has better security than some places, so it's playbook probably fine. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. I did see that video. Uh, but one of the things that uh, that's going to be happening with the Ravens here soon is the team's going to be hosting a bunch of visits with top 30 ranked prospects in this year's draft. They did have DK Metcalf in yesterday, I believe. They're going to have Marquise Brown in. If they didn't have him today, I think they'll have him in uh, tomorrow. Metcalf posted a picture on Twitter about sitting in the the room. They were literally giving him a physical right there. And he seemed to be kind of surprised and thrown back that the team was giving him a physical. Like he, he posted a picture of the medical room and, and at the bottom it just said, for real? Like this is for real? <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. What else do you expect? I mean, you you are an absolute freak of nature as far as physical just size and sculpture. I mean, this guy literally looks like a statue, like so somebody I, carved him. I'm a DJ Metcalf fan from what I know. Now, if I was a Ravens exec, there's a few things I need to know. I need to know if he plays like a Raven because with that body type, even if he failed out as a number one receiver, you can do a lot of things for this team. He could be dominant gunner on punt team if he's willing to do it. He could be dominant in the blocking game. He can 
Like you need to know whether he's a diva or whether he's a football player. Right. And that's and because of that body type, even if people want to bring up Perryman, that's what everyone's he blew away at the mm-hmm. at the um, NFL combines. So they want to bring up Perryman. Well, what blew my mind with Perryman was they never use him in any way. Like, I'm, again, I'm a Terps fan in college. If you have too many wide receivers, your wide receiver goes and plays cornerback. Or if it's not working out, you go help your team in some other way. Perryman was getting paid to do nothing and they never used him to do anything else. Which I agree with that take to a to an extent. When you're talking a first round draft pick, a first one a first round draft pick is typically a perennial pro bowler, a potential Hall of Famer. Like typically when you look at the history of things, these are the best of the best. Right? Not our last few first rounders. Not ours. Exactly. <laughs> and that's been part of the problem, right? The Ravens when you when it comes to the wide receiver obviously we all know the history and the problems that they've had with drafting wide receivers the one glaring issue that's been a problem with this wide receiver core for years has been people with drop issues wide receivers with drop issues and as much as this guy checks off so many boxes as to why he would be a great fit in this offense your number one assignment and your number one responsibility as a wide receiver is to catch the football and there's a lot of people out there who say well you know things like that there's techniques and things that can be taught and learned i'm sorry but if you're at this point where you're about to get drafted into the nfl and you haven't figured out how to catch a damn football at this point in your career what makes you think it's going to be any different in the nfl let's see a la Brashad Perryman. He I, was exactly that. I think we're gun shy because of Perryman. I think you may miss out on a perennial all-star, as you put it, because Perryman exists. Um, Perryman did have hand issues. Mr. Metcalf here, as many drops as he had, he also had one-handed circus catches. You're I absolutely mean, right. Yeah. Th- you didn't see that from Perryman ever. Perryman mm. needed two hands in his chest, no one around him. Also, <laughs> contested balls with Perryman was a joke because he was too tiny to contest them. Have you seen Metcalf? I'm not even going to bother contesting it. Right. <laughs> just wait and get his ankles. Right. I mean, I don't. I just don't. I think that you're going to see. I think it's a different person, and I think it's our our team being scared of repeating Perryman could stop him from getting drafted. All right. So that brings up my next point. So the draft is less than two weeks away now. And the Ravens are still sitting at 22. Obviously, they're not making any trades until draft day, and they're going to try to cash in as much as they can. Haven't had a real chance to talk to you much about this yet. If Obviously, Scott and I have kind of beat this horse dead. I'd like to know what your take is. What do you see the Ravens doing at 22? Do you think they trade up to go after their guy, which is what Scott feels? Do you think they stay at 22, take whatever falls to them, best player available, Or do you think they trade back and try to get a couple extra picks earlier in the draft? I know Ozzy's not here anymore, but I think Ozzy put us in a place where we have to trade back. I think that that he lost his second-round pick. I think they're going to trade back. Now, if they stay at 22, I like like Metcalf if he's there. And I also um, like Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M center, 6'4", 303, long arms, 33-inch. Right. Um, Played really well. Uh, he's a junior. Uh, mm-hmm. Give you another another year to keep him um, in the league. Um, and Metcalf's biggest problem is health. I'll admit that it's been an issue. Mm-hmm. But again, let's tie back to my specialty. As a Terps fan, 
Stefan Diggs left the field literally every game with a hamstring injury. 100% of Terps games, he pulled up lame and walked to the sidelines. Very true. And he went to the Vikings. Magically, I've never seen it. I, I don't know what the NFL has, but it's way better medical staff than the college has. There's a ton of money in college. I don't know why we can't get the medical staff they have, but apparently it's different. So hopefully that same thing could be true of Metcalf. And look, I, I like DK Metcalf for a lot of reasons, and, and I think like this is what I was trying to explain to Scott last week. This team sorely lacks a true number one wide receiver, but that true number one wide receiver for the Ravens has to fit a different mold than your diva type wide receivers like the Antonio Browns, like the, you know, the the Chad Johnsons of the world when he was around, yep. you know, and Odell Beckham was the guy yeah. he we were on last week. Our we number one would still probably be most play teams number two. A TJ Hushmanzada, a Heinz Ward. In, right. In the a day. gritty and, guy yeah. that's not afraid to throw somebody in the ground to use his hands more than just catching the football. And I think DK Metcalf checks off those boxes. Yes. For me, the only problem I have is the importance behind the first round pick. You cannot afford to swing and miss on a first round pick anymore. You can't. This this organization has failed on too many first round picks over the last couple of years that they can't afford to miss, especially in the critical stage that this organization's in. They're on the cusp of being a contending team. If they really want to be a perennial contending team, they got to build through the draft. And yes, next year is going to be sexy because they're going to have a ton of draft space, which is mm. awesome. This team hasn't had that. Cap space. Cap, what did I say? Draft, draft space. space. Cap tons space. of draft space yeah, coming. Yeah, tons of draft space coming. <laughs> tons of cap space coming. So that's going to be an appeal. But you've got to rebuild from the ground up, and it starts in the draft. And that's why I think as appealing as DK Metcalf is, there are some other wide receivers out there, the the Hakeem Butlers, the Nikhil Harrys, Depending on how the draft goes, typically what happens, and this is usually what you'll see, is once a wide receiver goes off the board, teams start to go into panic mode because they don't want to miss out on their guys, and you start seeing a run of wide receivers. But if DK Metcalf drops all the 22, drops all the way down to 22 and is there for the Ravens, a lot of these other wide receivers that I think have a lot of talent and meet the Ravens' needs will still be there in round two that if you can get an extra pick to make up for that second-round pick we don't have, I think trading back is the smarter thing. So he seems to be sliding constantly. Yeah. I, the, I mean, they were talking a, top 10 pick when the draft, like and, everybody's first started doing their mock drafts, and now they're talking that the Ravens could be having a legit shot. And now almost everyone is saying he'll be the second one for Mississippi State drafted. Right, A.J. So, Brown. Yeah. So, Which um, I would love to have A.J. Brown. If somehow he made it to 22, hands down you pick him. Isn't he like 5'9"? Yeah, but there's just he is the most Speed, he man. is the most complete wide receiver in this draft. He again, he's another guy that's not afraid to throw a guy to the ground. He's not as obviously he's nowhere near the physical specimen. He'd that be DK really Metcalf good on Denver is. with Flacco, but how's he gonna block for Lamar? Nah, I think he'd be all right. I think he would be okay with that. <laughs> I could not get blocked by a five nine guy. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> really? I, I don't think Heinz all right, Ward there's was a few five time. nine guys that could beat myself <laughs> yeah. seriously. I, but <laughs> the hardest I ever got hit in my fuck in my football. Football career was by a guy that was like five foot seven, blindsided me and took the air out of my chest, like literally knocked the air out of me. So five guys below six foot can still put up a punch and can still put up a battle as far that as guy can just stand there and you can't get by. No, you're absolutely right. He's a physical <laughs> specimen. But, but I think the more important need for Lamar 
and this offense moving forward is making sure you have the proper protection for Lamar. And I think a guy like McCoy, to your point, if he's there, I think you go with the offensive lineman and come back later in the second round or third round and pick up a wide receiver that fits the needs. Then you're killing two birds uh, with the two stones there. Versus so if you can trade back and manufacture two twos. Oh, absolutely. Hands down, I take it. So I, I th- I, that's kind of... If they can get a two and a three and then combine that three with a four or five and get two twos, right. I think that's where... Because you need guys that will produce now. You can't just keep trading back and get six third-round, fourth-round picks that are all projects. I don't think Costa would now. be that stupid. But if you got two, two twos, you could get a linebacker. Right. You could get a center. You get a wide receiver. Two of those three positions exactly. taken care of that or can pass produce rush. now. Yeah. Um, a linebacker that I was looking at in middle to late... Um, Second round is Mac Wilson out of Alabama. Yeah. 6'2", 240, former five-star. He played all three years, not much his first two years, but started all the games on the third year. This His junior year, 71 tackles, two interceptions and a sack. And his sophomore year, he had four interceptions. So he he does have some playmaking abilities. Right. Um, and he's the like fourth or fifth linebacker coming off the board. So you could definitely see him in the mid to late second round if we do trade back. Yeah, and a linebacker obviously is a position of need. They also need pass rush. So there's a lot of things that I think trading back is appealing because like you said, if you can get either a high second and a high third or somehow work out two seconds out of the deal, I would absolutely do that because again, you're filling more needs early in the draft with better talent. Now, one linebacker that we already have in the fold, Peanut, Pat Onwasu, signed his second-round restricted free agent tender. He's going to earn just over $3 million this season. Still working out the same type of structured deal for Michael Pierce. Uh, He's another guy that they're going to probably put a second-round tender on. Um, They have until the end of next week to get that done. Onwasu, it was kind of interesting prospect. When I first saw him, I think he came up, what, two years ago, maybe three now? can't remember for sure I didn't really have high expectations for this guy he seemed kind of lost out on the field but what I saw out of him last year is exactly why I was okay seeing CJ Mosley walk for the money that that he walked for and this is something I wanted to ask you a little bit about because again we haven't had a chance to talk about this what was your initial reaction or or even now what is your take on CJ Mosley not being a Raven anymore and following the money to New York I mean, I would have loved C.J. Mosley back. He's a great player. But I think that there were a lot of people overpaid this offseason. I don't know. Yeah, We'd, It's like the NFL knows the salary cap is going up and hasn't told the players yet because the percentage of cap currently it's, is getting pretty ridiculous. It's what pretty predictable the way that the salary cap goes up year in and year out. Yeah. So I... I I, I think he was overpaid. I don't think that you can you can do that with all the holes you had. We have, like you said, we have to have so many positions we need to fill, right. and it would have really ate up our cap space for next year. This year, you got to build through the draft because we're not very desirable, especially on the offensive side. Nobody really knows who Lamar is. Right, you got to have Lamar stop fumbling the ball. For God's sakes, Lamar, stop fumbling the ball. That's got to be That's focus it. number 1A like, and 1B. Everyone is- keeps talking about accuracy for Lamar. I'm really not all that worried about the accuracy. Yes, it was off a little bit. Uh, yes, he was better in college. Um, the size of the ball apparently has something to do with the accuracy, but the size of the ball obviously has something to do with his fumbling problem. Yeah, you 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 got to put it away. you got to put two hands on it. 
that's the biggest thing for me. I don't I don't care if you're going to miss a wide open receiver every now and then. Just stop laying the ball on the turf. And you know what's kind of funny about that is if you look at Harbaugh's career, like as far as his tolerance with guys that fumble the football, specifically running backs, yeah. he has a very, very short tolerance for guys that fumble the football. Typically, that's the quickest way to get in Harbaugh's doghouse. And to see Lamar f- continue to fumble throughout the year and all that, I-, I was kind of a little worried that Harbaugh might, you know, jump the gun on kind of throw in the towel a little bit in on, on Lamar or maybe, you know, bringing in RG3, especially considering down the road they were in the running for the playoffs yep. and the fumbling didn't stop. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a problem that was like early on when he first took over and then got better as his year went on. It stayed pretty consistently a problem. And, and it was worse than even looks on paper because he did recover a bunch of his own fumbles. Right, exactly. Which is because he's an amazing athlete. Right. And there are not many people that could have got that ball back in their hands. But Very true. I don't want to see it touch the turf whether you pick it up and rush for 60 yards afterwards. Like, it's, we don't need a trick play where you fumble the ball and then run past everybody. Right. No thank you. <laughs> That's very true. Now, I, I'm going back to the original question about C.J. Mosley, I'm right there on board with you. I thought that C.J. Mosley, kudos to him for going out and getting paid and getting the money that he got. And like I kind of told Scott a few weeks back is these teams – like the Giants or like the Jets, like the Browns, like, you know, some of these non-appealing organizations had to do this over the course of a couple of years where they had to position themselves to have the cap space available that they can overpay guys like this because who the hell wants to go play for the Jets? The only way you're going to get players there is if you overpay for them. And that's what happened this offseason. That's why we saw the Zadarius Smiths of the world. The C.J. Mosley. C.J. Mosley, we were talking about maybe a Luke Keekley type deal at the 12 to $13 million range. He yeah. far you know, surpassed that. It, and that's, that's I mean, for, again, for C.J. Mosley, right player at the right time for him to cash in on a big deal. There was a comment today because of the news breaking with um, uh, Russell Wilson signing his number one quarterback deal of all times, $35 million a year, most highest paid quarterback. Yeah. Highest paid uh, football player. Yeah, and there was a, a, a morbid comment that the ESPN analyst made that I like. It's like highest paid quarterback is like the oldest man on earth. It's like short-lived, another oh. guy's coming. <laughs> and I, and I That's very true. It. That's you're, very true. You're highest paid for, uh, for right now, but right. the next contract's going to beat it. C.J. Mosley, he just reset the market. I mean, because he's not the best linebacker in the league. He's probably top five, like five. He's not <laughs> one through four there. He's number five. Right. Um. So I guess, you know, three through, through eight. But he's paid number one. So the next one of those guys that is in that top five is going to surpass him. And right. then because it's a hard cap league, it's not baseball. We can't just write blank checks. Somebody else loses. Right. Exactly. All right, Brian, you've been quiet over there. I've been fuming over here. Yeah? <laughs> fuming? What's going on? Gotta hate those capitals. Yeah, man. The, the- I, I was kind of... Look, there is nothing like playoff hockey, man. It, I'm telling you, like it's it's got to be one of the most entertaining spectacles from a sports standpoint of all of the sports. I mean, I really, I really truly believe that like the intensity turns up across the board. Uh, it's hard hitting. It's 
you know, it's either high scoring yep. because your 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 greats and your all stars show up when it matters the most, or you've got great goaltender matchups. There's just so much appeal about it. Even for somebody who is the 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 non hockey fan, even if you don't understand the rules of it, you can appreciate just the, the speed effort. of the game, the effort of the game, just the it's it's nonstop action. And the caps in the first two games of the series against Carolina had really jumped out to early leads and convincingly, you know, had me convinced that this team was on another war path for another Stanley Cup going back to back. But then late in the games, we kind of saw the intensity for the Caps drop back a little bit. You, you saw the Capitals do what they've done in year in and year out when it comes to the playoffs. They jump out to an early lead and then they almost go to prevent defense. Right. Or it's just the defense deteriorates. I mean, Backstrom has been disappearing in these playoffs like he like he does in the past. I he mean, had a huge first game, though. That first he game, he had two goals, two big block shots. And this is this is kind of what I mean by playoff hockey, right? So Backstrom has struggled the last two games, but in that first game, like the, the, they had jumped out to a big lead. Carolina had charged back and got within one goal late. Backstrom started throwing his body in front of pucks mm -hmm. one after the other. He had two big blocks late in that game. That's something that a veteran leader does because he's committed to the bigger picture in winning that hockey yeah. game. I mean, game two went to overtime, but game one I thought was even more exciting because when you had, oh, you were uh, up by one, you had a last minute penalty. Uh, Power play power by, play, power by play, Carolina. Yes. Um, so they were up, you know, five on four. And then Carolina pulls their goalie. So you're watching six on four hockey. I don't know how you guard six guys, and they didn't seem to know either, but they did it well. It's just it's just this just sprint speed skating. I couldn't what, sit down. That's kind of what it reminded and, me. It's like Apollo Ono in the Olympics. And, you're just speed skating <laughs> behind the puck. And that's it's, right. just, it's just unbelievable. And, and, and then in that game, Brand, especially when that in that four on four on six, Brandon Hopi was a guy was a brick wall man. He was making sure that nothing was going to get by him. And I admit that the defense did step up in that four on six, like I haven't seen in a while. Right. I mean, it was great to so see those excited. guys participate. But what was the one factor that happened? They got out to an early lead mm -hmm. and they let it slip away. I don't know what's going on with the Capitals right now. I don't know if the whole Stanley Cup hangover is starting to catch up with them eh. because, you know, what we're going to talk about in game three. I, but you saw it at the end. It's the third quarter is where things start to fall apart. It's like they lose their energy. They start to play prevent defense. They're not going after the pucks. They're not clearing the pucks out of the zone fast enough. They're... They're getting very ticky-tacky with the passes, too. I right. think they're getting too cute with passing the puck around instead of putting the puck on net, trying to get deflections, trying to get the puck in the back of the net like they like they do at the beginning of the first two quarters. Some of those right. ticky-tacky passes were awfully pretty. They, you got Ovechkin to, to Oshie with uh, that, that touch. He almost used Oshie as a backboard. It wasn't even a shot yeah. by Oshie. That was, I'm not going to admit, that was very, that, very gorgeous. That but. has always been a, a kind of... It's been a nag on the Capitals. It though. has for years as they always try to make one too many cute passes. Now, I hadn't seen that really much this year, and I thought in the first two games they didn't do a whole lot of that. You know, and, and one of the cool things I thought about game two, you know, obviously not cool. The Caps give up the lead. The game goes to overtime. But in overtime and literally just within the first, like, two minutes, I think, defenseman Brooks Orpik, of all people, who only had four goals in his career of 151 <laughs> playoff games, hits the game winner. Of those four goals that he's had in the playoffs, three of them 
have been game winners for that guy. That's pretty impressive. Was that the empty net goal? Was that was that his? No, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no. This no, was no, the game. game in, one. This is game. Okay. This is actually the game in overtime. Okay, where yes, he won two. the Got game you. in game two. <laughs> but yeah, so all right, let's talk a little bit about last night's game, game three. Yeah. I, we were sitting here doing the prep for the show and watching this game. Frustrating. It, it might have been one of the most frustrating games I think I've watched all year from the Capitals. I mean, they came out very, very flat-footed. They came out like they had no energy. I, I think they came out thinking that, they, okay, we're up 2-0 in the Hurricanes. They're going to come out with no energy. We right. got this. We're going to come out. We're going to sweep these guys. We're going to we're gonna get a break. We're going to, you know, be able to take a break before Yeah, how'd that either... work out? Yeah. <laughs> you, saw, you saw they got to put a goose. They, they got goose egged. Yeah. Which. We still won. Not just, not just from a, not just from a, not just from a goal standpoint, but you had talked last night about the 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 unbalance of shots in this game. Oh, hold on, yeah, I got that statistic right. It was unbelievable. Like I, I had to do a a, a second take. So the Capitals had only eighteen shots to the Canes' forty-five shots. Forty-five you, to that, eighteen. That is, but there was only one shot to the face that mattered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so we got to talk right, about so it. Here we the go. only we important talk part about of that it. game. We <sighs> lost game three, okay, but we won the fist fight. So 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 we we lost the battle, but won the war. Is yes. that where you're going with that? <laughs> so, Alex Ovechkin, as intimidating as he is, as big as he is, he's really not been a fighter throughout his entire career. Nobody's been dumb enough to try it. And I think that's it. I think I think most people in the NHL, most players, now albeit some of these NHL players aren't really wired right. And <laughs> yes. it could be because they've taken some pucks to the head over the years. They've taken some hits to the board. I don't know what it they is. They don't have any teeth to worry about. You're, you're fine. <laughs> you're but typically, crazy. The, yeah, right. But typically, they're usually pretty smart, smart enough not to challenge Alex Ovechkin to a fight. Not only we, Scott and I talk about poking the bear, this guy <laughs> apparently, from everything that I've heard, just kept at it with Alex, trying yeah. to trying to egg him on to intentionally draw Alex to a fight. Alex asked him, "Are you sure?" You could yeah. see, it. Yeah. Are you are you sure? This, this is and what he you said want? Yes, and hit him again. Oh my and god! He did drop the gloves first because he's better at fighting. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> you know what's funny. If you haven't seen this fight yet, uh, there are clips out there that show it from like all sorts of different angles, and it's great to watch. If, if this is one of the really strong appeals about the NHL, as crazy as as everything is about sports and trying to make the game safer, the real big appeal with hockey is the one thing is that. They're allowed to fight in that league. Yeah, they get penalized for it, but they don't do anything to stop it. They don't do anything to prevent it. I think that's cool with hockey that you know that you're signing up for that. And if you're going to take the long term yeah. effects from it, you signed up for it. Which is why they were able to have a conversation before the fist fight. Started. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Not, like you, not like in baseball where you have to like pretend you're walking to first and then like rush to the pitcher. It's just like, <laughs> are we going to do this? Let's sign up. But when you, what, what I thought was kind of funny about this fight, right, is, you know, I'm not a huge boxing fan, but I watched a few boxing f matches in my day, especially when I was younger, when the heavyweight division actually mattered. And I watched, obviously, some UFCs. My buddy Gene and I, we go to, you know, to Buffalo Wild Wings or Green Turtle. We watch the UFC fights there. And anytime a fight's getting ready to start, they show the cards on the TV of the two guys getting ready to fight. You know, they show their height and their weight and all this and their wins and losses. And one of the stats that they show is a guy's reach, their reach. And I've never really seen it play such a factor as it did in this hockey fight because 
Alex takes this guy by the jersey and le- literally extends his arm out as far as he can. <laughs> and the kid is, and mind you, this kid is a rookie in the 19 NHL. Years 19 old. years old. And he is That's just a lesson. He is just flailing punches at Alex and he can't connect on anything. But Alex is just one handing him, right handing him one after the other after the other that is just connecting on the side of this kid's head until he couldn't function yeah. anymore. So he, so he blacks out, he hits his head on the ice, he's in the concussion protocol, <laughs> yeah. and he's missing game four. So don't pick on Ovi. Yeah. <laughs> Do not challenge Ovi to a fight. There are two guys on this team. Personally, and I'm a big guy, and I can handle my own. I'm not getting in a fight with Alex Ovechkin, and I'm not picking on Tom Wilson either. Those are two guys that I will leave in a, alone. Just in case some of the Capitals are watching, I'm not fighting any of you guys. So just, <laughs> the rest of you can pickle on Fred if you need to. Uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't send Basher my way. I know that guy can fight. I, I've seen him put up his dukes and take a, take a hit or time or two. So you know what this reminded me of? I just thought of it on air, so you might be able to help me out. So last, I think it was last year, they had... Two guys fight. They went to the penalty boxes, and they agreed yes. that they were going to fight as, as soon as they got back. That was Tom Wilson. Yes, that was Tom Wilson. That's the the, the second best was, yes. remembrance of a Falky fight. I forgot I all about that. That was, that was classic. They literally were agreeing in the fight, like we're just going to finish this again as soon as these doors open. I, I believe <laughs> and they did. Yeah, and they did. They threw they their stuff out. Like, they just, didn't even bring their sticks or gloves right. with them from the penalty box. They just came out fighting. Oh, it was great. I forgot all about it. To make it a movie, right? It was almost like Drago. I will break you. Yeah. Are you sure about this? Of course, the yeah. Russian reference. And the, the reach uh, it, works because it, it's the only sport where they're wearing a shirt. You can't hold the man at a distance right. when you're a boxer shirtless right. or UFC person shirtless. So he literally has him on a leash and is beating him. Oh, it was great. Oh, great. <laughs> it was great. It, it I, was. I hope the kid's all right. I, you know, I hope he gets through the concussion protocol all right. But he <laughs> asked for but it. But he, yes, he did. He asked for it. And that I'm and, sure. Oh, I hope he gave him like two or three options to change his mind. <laughs> I hope, I hope he learned something from it. I hope he learned something from it. But Brian, you and I were talking last night a little bit. And um, one of the things that you and I are kind of on the same page with is I think that a former coach last year's Stanley cup coach, mm-hmm. Barry Trotz was kind of, in my opinion, short changed as far as not giving, not giving him his due. Oh God. Yes. As far as being a Stanley cup winning head coach, the first Stanley Cup in franchise history. You don't pay this guy. And everything that I had heard was that they really weren't that far off money-wise. So nonetheless, Ted Leonis doesn't pay him, and he ends up signing a deal with the New York Islanders to be their head coach. I'm hearing it's a possibility that these two teams could meet up if the if, if the Caps advance. If as long as the Islanders win their series and the Capitals come out and actually I don't know get off their duff and actually show some motivation and win the series against the Canes, right? Yeah, the, with the way that the the playoffs restructure, Barry Trotz might get his revenge because the Islanders are a stacked team. They're a very very scary team. They're young. They're, they're good hungry. and young team. Oh, they're they're quick. a very young team. And with Barry Trotz behind the realm. Don't be surprised if they might make it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals here, folks. And there's nobody, there's nobody out there on another team, a competing team that knows this team and their strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. better than Barry Trotz. If you don't think it's going to be motivation for Barry Trotz to come into here into Washington and beat the Capitals to oh, advance, without. regardless of what happens after the fact, but to come into Washington and eliminate their chances of repeating 
that's got to be a huge motivating factor for Trotz. Because I'll even tell you this much. If he was behind that bench in game game three, oh, he would have been up and down that bench yelling at those guys, you got to go out there. You got to play hard. Bastion, we got to go out there and start knocking some teeth out. Ovechkin, you keep well, you keep the intensity up. Oshi, you go out there, you do what you do, you keep getting near that goal. You, whenever you get a puck, you shoot it towards the net. And that was one of the things I think last year he preached day in and day out: put pucks on net, get the deflections. What happens? What ha- is is what's going to happen? As long as you right. get that puck on the net and you let things, you know, you make the goalie have to work for it. Right. You have a better chance of winning, and you didn't see that. I don't think you've seen it all the all the series either. I think it's been very finesse, kind of like the two or three years ago Capitals that we're used to seeing. I right. think that's what we're seeing now, which right. is what I don't like. I like the high end intensity what the Capitals were when they won the Stanley Cup just last year. But I, if I, I honestly think if Gary Trust was behind that bench, I think I think it might have been more competitive. I don't think would have won. Because just just the, the way that the Canes came out, I mean that that stadium was rocking last night. I mean it was just. I think high Brian's end. been a fan too long. <laughs> I think, oh, I, I, think I, I drink in the cooling. I think he's a, a spoiled Caps fan that wants uh, them to be hey, wire to hey, wire hey, hey, champs hey, like I, they have been a bunch of regular seasons. I, I see what Pittsburgh has done. I and know that no you sound that like you've seen what Pittsburgh has done. Right. I've got I've gotten my heart <laughs> I, broken way too I many agree times. With you. I agree, man. I think this team needs to capitalize they're on as many championships as they can. Guys. I, I know tears over we're the We're sounding like they're they're lazy at home losing no, no. 3 mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. listen, two one. There, it is two to one. I, I am fiery about my Capitals, but it's just like you, Carolina you, you, was a really hot team at the end of the year. You weren't going to sweep these guys. They no, were, of course not. You don't come out flat-footed like that, though. And you gotta come up, and yeah, you gotta they, step they got up. Skunked. You, you gotta step up in Game Four. You can't afford to have this series go to get tied. There's too much mental behind <laughs> that for a team. It gives them too much momentum going into Game Five. They gotta come out and perform in Game Four. Absolutely. Are you giddy yet, Ryan? Oh, here we go, man. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for some turtle talk. Some terps talk. With our B-Espert himself, Ryan Shamel. So the overreaction news, we'll start with that for the week. So uh, Bruno Fernando, shocker, shocker, is headed to the NBA draft. Right. Um, and uh, also Anthony Cowan is headed to the NBA draft. I think that was more of the shocking news for some fans. It's a shocker there. if it's two or three years ago when you have to stay there because you put your name there. So right. what people are missing is the new rules. So important dates here. So you had to announce your name for the NBA draft before April 21st. So that means some of these players, including Jalen Smith, that said he's coming back next year, can change his mind until April 21st. Right. That tweet, that press conference means nothing until the 21st passes. So I believe him. I think he's coming back. I don't think he's going to go test the waters, but he could. And so could anybody else on that bench, even if they have no chance of actually being drafted. What that means is you can then go to the NBA Combine, which is uh, May 14th through 19th. Um, you can even hire an agent now without, because people are going to overreact with that, because the next news will be Anthony Cowan's agent is Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, and Bruno Fernando you know, will we'll also hire an agent. Um, the N- then you go to the NBA Combine, and then by May 29th is when you have to decide whether you are going to stay in the NBA draft and stay with your agent, or whether you discontinue your contract with the agent and return to college. You lose no eligibility. It's basically a job interview. It's basically a job interview, and the player is seeking counsel whether or not it's feasible 
for him to enter the NBA draft this year. I think if anybody is a realist when it comes to Anthony Callen, no, I don't see any NBA team first round, second round, giving this kid a legitimate shot this year in the draft. But there was no reason for him not to go. Exactly. He doesn't, I agree have, with that. he doesn't have another year of eligibility in college past this. So right. you go this year, you get feedback and hopefully it helps him. I mean, I mean, yes, Bruno Fernando improved greatly last year. Um, and so did it. Ed did. uh Herter. I mean, yes, he went to the NBA, but mm -hmm. the changes were, were immense. Now, people, you know, I don't give um, Coach Turgeon as much flack as some people do for not having improvements. Because I think we have had. We had the Alex Lenz. We've had the Herters. We've had Bruno. But what if just by luck, Bruno improved so much because of some of the things that he was told by the NBA coaches that he saw? Maybe they saw things that Turge didn't. So why would you as an, a Maryland fan not want Anthony Cowan to go get that feedback, to go learn from the best that are that are coaching the world's greatest athletes and have him come back. Now, the problem is because people don't know the rules, they're overreacting, they're tweeting out, they're saying, you're not ready, you're terrible, who do you think you are, all these things, which is ridiculous. Stay off social media. Like, <laughs> right. this is a recruiting thing. We don't buy players. They have to want to come here. So anytime you represent a Terp fan, you represent the Terps. So whether you're talking to this guy, which basically right now, Bruno and Anthony, until May 29th, are recruits. They can still come back to College Park. So you should be wishing them well and telling them all the fond memories you have and being and being jealous about <laughs> and, and, and trying to make them want to come back, not being negative. And even if it doesn't affect them, Bruno's probably gone. I, I agree. He even made a tweet about Angola, stick with me, I got you. Because, you know, a lot of people support him, get here. He's going to send money home eventually, you know, things like that. Let me, let me cut in before you go, go too ahead. far there. So just so that we're, we're staying on, on course here with Bruno. For me, I think Bruno... If he goes to this this courting session and the NBA doesn't assure him that he's a top 15 pick in my opinion, I think the smarter move for him is to come back to the to College Park because I do think one more year and not being in the class with all the top recruits from Duke that are getting going into the draft this year, the Zion Williams, the you know the the Barretts and all those guys, I think next year he is 100% a top 15 pick. Do you think it would be smart of Bruno to come back if they if they can't guarantee him a top 15 slot? The Terp fan in me says, yes, I think you should come back if they don't say you're number one pick. Um, but <laughs> the reality of it is, in with today's NBA, in order to become a top 15 pick, I think he's going to have to show his outside shooting, which that they don't, they don't... You know, Bruno is an old-school, true center. He's... A little bit better ball hander than Dwight Howard, but he, that's kind of the best comparison is Dwight Howard. Ooh. Well, <laughs> Dwight Howard now is terrible. He was pretty good for a while. Right. I still think you want primetime Dwight Howard, which I think Bruno could be, but he's not super desirable. So if you do see Bruno back at Maryland, of course it's going to help us. He's one of the greatest players to ever play at Maryland. Right. But I also think he's going to have to be showcasing his skills, and he's going to be shooting more long twos and more threes than you would have liked him to to shoot. Right. He shot a few threes this year. I have no idea what his percentage was. I'm sure it wasn't good. But 
I hate, I remember a few going in, which is always fun. But you know that always <laughs> always doesn't matter as long as your your center is making a three. Look at the Michigan game. At both Michigan games oh. we lost were the same thing. Yeah, their seven foot tall center missed their first six threes. Right, and then he hit his seventh three. Literally both games, and that seventh three was the the straw that broke the camel's back. As yeah. soon as that happened, both games were over. And it was it was it was unbelievable how they were they mirrored each other. I agree with that. And and I think we're both on the same page with Anthony Cowan. I he's think coming he, back. he's coming back. If he doesn't come back, it's just because he doesn't want to play for these fans. And that could I. very well be a possibility of Daryl Morsell. Yeah, so I brought this up last week when Jalen Smith announced that he was coming back to the Terps, that he had put a post on Instagram saying that he was coming back, and right underneath the post was a comment from Daryl Morsell that said, but I'm gone, with a little sad face. I know you had mentioned to me off the air that uh, he has some interest in some other local colleges. Could we really see Daryl Morsell at another college next year? So if you go back to the uh, January quote-unquote losing streak, after we won six in a row, and then we everyone thought we were Duke, and that we should never lose again. Um, there were some negative comments made, especially about Cowan, because he was up and down. Um, I don't actually think many were made from about Morsell, but he came to their defense and said that Maryland fans, you know, they're like, who are who are you to be making fun of these uh, athletes? You guys are are terrible. We're still people too. All this stuff, right? And really, I think all this hangs on that. Now, yes, is there a little bit of entitledness from the Maryland fan base? Do we think we're a top five program when we're really probably a top twenty five program? Yes. Uh, do we have unrealistic expectations because of the Gary Williams years yes. of the coach? Yes, one hundred percent. But. It's 2019 and social media lets people be keyboard warriors and not have to stand up to you when you say the thing. So you're right. going to find mean fans everywhere. Um, with that being said, if he just is burnt out of it and burnt out of it, that's him. He's got to take care of, of his himself, his mental health. And he also, he's, you know, probably not going to the NBA. So college is what he's going to do showboat with. So if he did transfer, he would sit out next year. He would play his senior year. Um, I've heard he's got a lot of interest in Georgetown. I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope that Daryl Morsell is our hustle defense, our glue guy. Yeah, I think agreed. he's our Shane Battier. He's that guy you need to to hold your Shane other Battier shooters type, together. Maybe not on the same skill level, but the same type of player, yes. I won't give Shane Battier that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can. But, uh, Maryland geez. fans. Yeah, but, uh, and then after he plays his senior year, even let's say it is Georgetown, he would then be able to transfer again without any penalty because he'd be a grad transfer yeah. so he could he could really or anywhere else so he could go you know seeking a title he could transfer twice in three years looking for that ring and, i think he has a good shot of getting a ring here like i, I do I don't too think and rose covered color glasses i do too and we talked about this you know a couple years or well we talked about teams in the past and what more so kind of compares to and i think for me the best terp comparison for me, was Byron Mouton. He's very similar in his skill set, and like you said, he was kind of that glue piece. He was like the only guy on that starting or starting roster that didn't make the NBA, yeah. didn't make a name for The other for four himself. starters all made the NBA. Exactly. Only Steve Blake had a super good NBA career, but everybody else, but everybody else had their the dance NBA. in the NBA. Byron Mouton was that piece that kind of held it all together, and I think – if the Terps were to get a Bruno back, obviously Cowan's more than likely coming back. 
and Morcel stayed around for another year with the new recruits that they come they have coming in, this becomes a very deep Maryland team and could be possibly a top 10 team as far as rankings right so, out the gate. If Bruno comes back, it'll be it'll be similar to two years ago where they came in number three preseason. You'll yeah. be top five ranking with Bruno back. Now, again, I don't think Bruno's coming back. I don't either. Um, the early rankings still have us in the top 10, but that's not with Cowan gone. That's not with Marcel gone. If you see Cowan and Marcel leave, they're not going to, they'll probably be top 25 maybe preseason. But actually with Cowan gone, they won't even probably be that. But yeah. They still have some talent. I don't think Cowan's leaving, so I'm not even going to discuss who's going to replace him. Obviously, Eric Ayala already runs the point a lot. That's your so boy. I love Eric Ayala. I truly, right here, I've said it before, <laughs> I I think that he will be an actual four-year player, though I thought that of Daryl Morsell, so please stay and be a four-year player, Daryl Morsell. <laughs> he just needs I, a little bit it. more confidence and belief in himself, I think. Sometimes he's just too passive. I, I think he's passive. I don't think there's any confidence issue. My man plays like a 40-year-old that's under control. It's, I've Are never you his seen, agent? <laughs> I've never seen a man play so slowly and yet... No one can come near the ball. It literally looks like he's carrying every dribble as slow as he dribbles. And, yeah. and he's scanning the floor and he's, you know, he's facilitating. And he and when he does shoot, he's really good at no, it. No, I know. He had one of the highest percentages of <laughs> three-pointers on the team. I just sometimes I found myself you don't like, like him because he's very shoot the ball. Yes. You <laughs> shoot like the ball. Very similar to Mr. Guy down in Virginia that's got oh, your panties no, in a bunch. That guy <laughs> guy, no pun intended. That he is just a prick. I, I don't know. There's something about his look, something about him. There's nothing about Ayala's look. It's just frustrating. You know you really about guy. Guy's probably a good person. I'm going to be the Maryland fan that says nothing mean about everybody. He's a prick. But I do I do think there's something about some people's looks. Remember there was we were watching Purdue together. That oh, yes. The Purdue center to me yes. looks like a Bond villain, so it just makes <laughs> me not like him. There's nothing wrong with him, but he looks like a Bond villain, and so did the last center uh, that played for Purdue. Um, oh, uh, yeah. I know you're giant about. Yes. monster of a man that was yes. there last year. I can't remember his name. Uh, but for some reason, the big white guys that play for Purdue <laughs> all look like Bond villains the last eight years. That's how they grow them out there, man. Corn <laughs> they don't grow them there. They're getting them from Russia. Them and Ovi are friends. All right, man. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the football program at the Terps. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of changes going on with the organization or with the, uh, the football program. A lot of eyes on the program and a lot of transparency on the program we've been scott and i've been talking about that uh, and you and i have talked about it on off the air um what are some important dates maybe coming up or some things to look forward to in the next couple of weeks with this team so april 27th is the, is maryland day which who knew that was a thing um and it's also <laughs> the spring game uh it's going to be at noon um women's lacrosse plays at 4 30 men's lacrosse at 7 30 both first hopkins so there's a big time rivalry yeah um so what they're doing is they're doing them all in bird stadium it's one you know one entrance yeah, and single and admission running, yeah basically 12 to to nighttime so the men's team will play under the lights at 7 30 should be a good time if are we getting down there for that or what if it's good weather we should definitely go down all right we already tried to hit up Loxley, get some uh Media passes. media passes I Loxley, if you're updates. watching man at fred blbs hit me up let me know i want media passes for that i'll be down there uh wearing my red and black yeah proudly. i'm sure there's another way we can start looking at that and trying to get a yeah, hold of it no, um sure. so yeah i mean 
it's it's going to be less of an exciting media or well, uh, spring game just because I was it was a, like yeah. who who are some players that might be in or out of this game because obviously there's there's some new players coming in that are transfers. Um, do we see some of these guys? Do we see the Anthony McFarlands of the world? Like who who can we get excited to watch in this game? Yeah, so uh, Keandre Jones and Savoy will both be playing in the game, or okay. at least you know barring any changes. Um, they've both applied for waivers. They have not had answers uh, whether right. they're going to play next year. Um, I think Savoy is a foregone conclusion. He has a lock-solid reason with his brother dying and right. his mother being sick and things. Right. Um, Keandre Jones, they literally never said what his reason for a waiver would be, so I don't know what that is. It's probably just I followed Dwayne Haskins mistakenly to Ohio State. <laughs> I should have been here forever. Right. Um, but maybe it's something else going on. You know, It's his private life. He can do what he wants. Um, so those two should be there. Now the uh, Joshua Jackson transfer from Virginia Tech will not be playing, and neither will uh, Lejeune, the uh, freshman quarterback. Yeah. Um, those those were you know late signings, and we did we didn't have much early signing period presence because Loxley had just became coach like two days beforehand. Um, so not as many people started spring semester as a as a usual year what's the update on kasim hill have you heard anything about him so he's still on the active roster um so no one's bit on the transfer but i mean he can transfer up until the beginning of the season maybe even during since he's not playing and it'll still count as his sit out year do we see piggy and hill in this pre spring game hill's not ready to play he's he's still, still cut recovering yeah still recovery okay so it'll be pigram and um uh Wow, I can't remember the backup quarterback's name right now. I'm yeah, blanking drawing it. a blank. But anyway, um, really the big new, the big people to watch uh, will be Anthony McFarlane, Jashwan Jones. So he will be playing. Yeah. Anth okay. Um, uh, uh, Antoine Brooks was mic'd up the other day. Yeah. I love the transparency. It's so much more fun too. this year. I do too. I, and this is like, again, I think it's more so... I don't think it's forced. I don't think it's like hey, we're trying to change our image here. I don't think that that's what it's about, but I think they're in a position where they almost have to do this. I think they did it because they had to, right. but I think this is going to be a trend. I, I really, I like it. I really believe that other than the straight blue bloods that don't need it, the Clemson, the Alabama, I think you're going to see a lot more of this. You know, they always, they always have active social medias, but just the the mic'd up players in practice and the right. footage of practice and all these things that are like, hush, hush. Let's be real. Spring game practice is not real practice. You're not practicing <laughs> plays. You're finding out who players are. You're finding out who your playmakers are. You're staying in shape. You're you're making sure your team gets along. You're you're building rapport. I agree. Oh no. It's about that time, right? Yes, it is. All right. So before we get into this, I want you to know. I uh, tried to tie everything to Terps since I am the Terps BS spurt. I had to change all storylines to make that fit. It's like a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon thing, but seven degrees of Terps. <laughs> oh, man, it's about that time. And as I do and I've done in the past with outside hosts that have come in, I kind of give them the floor to write their own script for a two-minute warning is something we do on every episode. Scott and I, we rotate back and forth as to who does it. So, Ryan, you are on the clock, my friend. Your two-minute warning starts now. 
A teammate of former Super Bowl champion starter J.C. Jackson can no longer wear his helmet. Some guy by the name of Thomas Brady. The NFL and NFLPA have been testing helmets since 2015, but they agreed for the first time last year to prohibit lower-performing models. By the end of last season, only 32 stubborn players, including Patriots quarterback, were wearing helmets that are now banned. According to statistics by the NFL by week 17 of last season, 74% of players used helmets ranking the top category. As a nurse, I think it's sad we are not at 100% of top-rated helmets. The Ravens fan in me hopes since they took Brady's helmet away, he may play without one, giving the rest of the league a chance. Maryland's Stefan Diggs is no longer the highest-paid wideout on the Vikings. His 2018 contract has been beat. Adam Thielen put together a career season in 2018 that included 113 receptions for over 1,300 yards. For the second time in two years, Thielen has landed a huge contract extension, even though he still had two years remaining on the first extension from 2017. Per Thielen's agent, four-year extension is worth a total of $64 million, $35 guaranteed, and up to $73 million with incentives. Whew. Seems to me the Vikes are going to run out of cap space with the Cousins contract and raising the cost of their receiving core for three years in a <laughs> row now. That's right. Just four months after leading the defense of Maryland men's soccer team to a national championship, Donovan Pines made his MLS debut for the D.C. United Saturday night. The homegrown 6'5 defender turned in an impressive performance in the United's 3-2 win over the Colorado Rapids, holding the fifth highest score in league history scoreless, showing tight defense, accurate passing, and even registering assists on a Wayne Rooney corner kick. According to the Audi Player Index, which I don't want to begin to pretend to understand, <laughs> Pines was the fourth best player on the pitch during the match, tallying 625 points. For simple reference, United star Wayne Rooney had just 246 on the night. Wow. A teammate of Maryland's most hated player, J.J. Redick, are in the news. Presumably looking at Berlin BS Twitter feed, TV cameras <laughs> show Amir Johnson sitting on the bench and scrolling through his phone. His team down 16 points late. Uh, game boom. one playoff loss. Fantastic. You freaking nailed it. I got all my jokes in. I didn't get all the news in. <laughs> that was great. You did fantastic. I only man. had four things. I got through it. And that was on your first run. No practice or nothing. Nailed it, my friend. Good job. Good job he, he's man. a big liar. I practiced a <laughs> lot. Oh, come on, man. Take the credit where you Take can get it. Take the credit where you you can get it, man. Uh, that was a lot of fun, man. That was great. <clears throat> that was an awesome show. Again, appreciate you, Ryan, for filling in for Scott this week. Did an awesome job. Everybody out there in social media land, let us know what you thought of Ryan. Drop a comment in the field. Appreciate you doing this, man. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> My mother-in-law just joined the chat. I don't, I don't know how long she watched. Watch but yourself now, Hi, man. Ryan, right at the end there. I like it. <laughs> Want to remind you guys to check She's us out. Swiping you out, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Want to remind you guys to check us out on the website birdlandbs.com. You can find all of our episodes, learn about a little bit of about each of us, me, Scott, Brian. Uh, on there you can find all of our links for bigplay.com. You can find their Twitter page, download the Big Play app so you can watch it through the app, which is pretty cool. Uh, follow Birdland BS on all the social media accounts. You can follow it at Birdland BS. You can follow me at Fred BLBS. Scott is at Scott BLBS. Ryan is at Terps underscore BSpert. Brian at IT Blake BLBS. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Snapchat. We're all over all the social media platforms. Make sure you hit like, follow, subscribe, and share to be a part of BS Nation. If you want your opinions and topics to be heard on the show, use the hashtag That's BLBS. Your comments could become part of the show or one of the topics that we use. As always, be sure to check out the audio version of the show on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all the popular apps out there. Thanks for tuning in. As always, for Scott, who is out in Honduras, I'm Fred. 
This is Ryan. That's Brian. We'll see you guys.